I think what's important as we we talk about this kind of love from God that we really understand what we're talking about here is is God's pleasing love and and this used to kind of confuse me in in uh, different teachings I would hear because we all we've heard since we're very young where I did because I was raised in church how God loves everybody God loves everybody the same right God so loved the world that he gave his only son and there's nothing you can do to change that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more so I'd hear that and I think hmm so God loves the sinner the same way he loves the saint God loves this person who's ignoring him and rebelling against him the same way he loves his serious-minded devoted Christian filled with the Holy Spirit he loves them the same hmm and I think I think there's a confusion there because this this sinner he loves them but he's gonna condemn them. he's very displeased with them right in fact the Bible says he's angry with them in fact it says he's gonna pour out his wrath on them and then you've got this this Christian here at the end of Romans 8 who've come who have come to this place I believe that they're at the end of themselves They've gone through Romans 7 of striving in self and quit trying to please God in their own strength. Now they're just depending on the Holy Spirit. And they've come to this place where they recognize they can please God through their faith in Jesus Christ and through him filling them and empowering them to live the Christian life. So you come to this point where you understand there's there's a pleasing love of God and there's this love of God yes he loves sinners but he's not pleased with them there's a world of dif- difference between those two places right so to just say God loves everybody the same and you can't change that wait a minute you can have a pleasing relationship with God it's not that he's loving you more but it makes all the difference in the world if he's pleased with you right and you have sinners that God certainly isn't pleased with at all. Then you have Christians that aren't walking in obedience, are, are, are maybe one foot in the world, one foot in, in the church. God's not pleased with them. You ever read that scripture that says he, you can grieve the Holy Spirit? That means God's upset. He's not happy with you. He's grieved. Or you can quench the Holy Spirit or you can resist the Holy Spirit of course we our desire is to be pleasing to God is to abide in that pleasing love of God right to know to be confident my life is pleasing to God and he delights in the way that I'm living that's what we all want in fact, that's, that's the huge change that happens when you're born again. You go from a person who, you may be religious even, but your heart isn't really about pleasing God. And then you, you become born again. You, you finally come to the cross. You say yes to Jesus, and God gives you this new heart. You're a new creation. And you notice this radical change within the kind of person you are, and that all of a sudden... The most important thing in your life is to please God. 
And we've talked about this a lot as we've gone through Romans. Well, just because you want to please God doesn't mean you're going to know how to please God. Those are two different things. But, but you've got to start out at least wanting to please God. If you don't even have that desire, you need to get saved. You need to ask God to put that into your, your heart. But you're saved. And now the, the biggest thing in your life by far is I want to make my father happy. You know, even in our human condition, whether you're saved or not saved, just as, as the way God has made us, we want to please our parents, right? And maybe, you know, you're, you're a teenager and you kind of fight that and, and the whole thing. But there's something within us that we want our parents to be proud of us. We want our parents to be pleased with us. And, you know, it's funny, I had this dream the other night, and I think the, it took me a couple of days to figure this out and how it related to the passage here, but I had this dream of my dad. Well, my dad died back in 1981, but, uh, and I hardly ever, you know, dream about them. Somebody told me, you, don't, you never dream about the dead. I'm like, what? Yeah, you do. So I was dreaming, uh, it's just a wives' tale or something. But anyway, it was as clear as could be. You know, my dad was there, uh, and uh, and I can remember the whole context of the dream was he was disappointed with me. He was kind of ashamed of me, or you know, there was something going on in the dream where he was not happy with me, and I felt so bad in the dream. I'm like, oh man, you know, I'm 60 years old, you know, and I'm worried about what my dad thinks, you know. But that's just who we are as humans, you know, and maybe you had a crummy, you know, upbringing. Your parents weren't very good parents, but there's still something within us that we we want to please our parents. And I believe that's the way God made us. He made us in, in his image. He, in creation, there's all kinds of parallels to, to life, to spiritual life that he's trying to teach us just through creation. If we'll if we'll take notice and certainly the, you know, the, the parent-child relationship has, has a lot of analogies you know, to our relationship with God as our Father. And so there's this tremendous desire in us as believers to want to please God. And yet when you're living as a Christian and you feel like you're not pleasing to God, that's a miserable place to be. And I will tell you, I lived in, in and out of that place for many years. And I, and I, as I have studied Romans, even these last few months, uh, things have become more clear to me, even this week. And to live in that place where I know God is pleased with me because I'm walking in the spirit. I'm meeting him at the cross. And you know, guys, it's, it's really that simple. That God, God is very pleased with his work in his son, the redemption that he's provided, his son dying on a cross. He's pleased with us when we meet him there at the cross and say, Lord, that is my only hope. That is my only righteousness. That is my forgiveness. But that Christ is my wisdom, my life, my righteousness, my hope. He is everything to me. As John and I were talking in prayer time this morning, John says, yeah, we're just 
Cleons, Klingons, we cling to Jesus. Klingons, I don't know how we say that. That's a Star Trek thing, I guess, but but we cling to Jesus. I said, yeah, John, you know, that that's something the Holy Spirit has spoken to me for years, just clinging to Jesus. That's a Christian life. But the deeper I go into theology and I study the word, it just backs that whole concept up that, yes, that's how, how simple the Christian life is. And, and this is this is the point that Paul came to where he recognized the pleasing love of God and he was just going to live in that place now. You know, Romans 7 where he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will... Who will deliver me from this body of death? I, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. I'm a mess as a Christian. I, I'm failing God. And we talked about how Paul, you know, he brought his Phariseeism into his Christianity and he had to unlearn that, quit striving in his own self-righteousness. But man, that's not an easy thing for God to purge out of us is that self-righteousness. That's the only frame of reference Paul had. He comes into the Christian life. He's a serious Christian, and, and, and he's, he knows he's saved now. He knows he ha- has a relationship with Christ. But as he, as he moves on in his Christian life, he, he realizes, man, I'm failing. I'm failing God. And then he goes through the, the rest of uh, Romans 7 and comes to the end saying, uh, Oh, thank, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he goes into chapter 8 saying, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's learning to now quit depending on his own flesh and his own righteousness and depending on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So just you, you come to this point in your Christian life where you, you realize, wow, there's freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't have to do this on my own anymore. And Christ will live his life through me. And so you come then to this point of uh, Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's a very key verse there. He's, you know, that, that spirit of bondage to fear is the Christian trying to please God in his own strength, always feeling like he's failing, always feeling like God must be disappointed with them and mad at him to the point where you say, no, it's no longer about my performance. It's about me having relationship with Jesus Christ, having relationship with my father. I cry out, Abba, Father. I'm not under this spirit of bondage anymore. I'm under this beautiful relationship with the father who I just want to please my heavenly father. And so it's a, it's a complete change of mindset. And now our life is to want to wanna please our heavenly father. And that's what I believe he's talking about in, in uh, the passage we read toward the end of Romans here. Who will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Now, you, again, we're thinking about this in terms of God's pleasing love. If we turn over to Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus...
where Jesus was uh, baptized. So uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And, he, and John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So you see the link there between God's love and God's pleasure for his Son. And this is very important. See, we're being, at Romans 8, we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So we are to come to this point where we're this object of God's loving pleasure. This is my beloved son or the son I love in whom I am well pleased. The father has always been pleased with the son, right? In fact, if we get to it in John 17, the high priestly prayer where Jesus is telling us about his time, eternity uh, with the father before <laughs> creation and and how eternity future is going to be and 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 it's this picture of jesus uh, receiving the loving pleasure of the father and that's that's the glory that jesus is receiving that he's this object of the father's pleasure and the father creating us that then we could be the object of his loving pleasure that we would be created in in his image this is my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased then you turn over to matthew 17 I can find the verse. Let me see here. I just looked it up. Matthew 17, 5. This is the uh, story of the transfiguration, and let's start from verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, hear him. Same message. When God the Father shows up, this seems to be very important to him. He could have said a lot of things, right? At the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized, at the transfiguration where Jesus is revealing the glory of, of, of who he is, 
and the father had something to say in both cases and and it both had to be with his loving pleasure of his son this is important to god this is why god created us that we could be objects of his loving pleasure and then you turn over to as i mentioned john 17 the, the what's called the high priestly prayer right before jesus is going to the cross these are some of the last words he spoke and let's pick up in verse 20 of John 17. I, Jesus is praying. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will, be, who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, Sometimes people interpret this that well, he's praying that we'll all get along together. We'll all be one. I don't really think that's what he's saying here. Uh, I could be wrong, but it seems to me he's talking more about our relationship with him and the father and that the, because of the cross, he's going to bring us into this oneness uh, with, with him. It's in a sense, almost bringing us into the Trinity. It's crazy, but it's beautiful. Verse 22 and the glory, which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. That's pretty significant. Father, I desire that they may also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So I believe that glory that Jesus is talking about is the love of the father for the son that, that we're going to behold that and say, wow, look at how the father loves the son. And now the father's directing that same pleasing love toward us. And that's what, again, it's talking about here, not just that love that God has for everybody, but this pleasing love He's delighting in his obedience, his devotion. Uh, God delights in our obedience, our devotion, but it has to be focused on the person of Christ and letting Christ live through us. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love of with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So again, significant right before he goes to the cross, the last words he says, Lord, that they may experience that pleasing love that I've experienced through all eternity, that now they may experience that because that's the highest point of glory to be at the receiving end of God's pleasure. And God's love, that's the highest possible point in the universe. And that's where Jesus lived for all eternity. And that was his glory. And that's the deepest desire of your heart. If you're a believer, you want to, to be able to stand before God and say, he is totally pleased with me. And how could you possibly say that unless you were only trusting in Christ in his cross and, and his life to live through you? Because you can always find sin in your life, right? You can always say, I, I must be disappointing to God. I mean, a few years ago, you could not have talked me into this because I would have told you, no, 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 God can't be pleased with me because I, I struggle here, I struggle here, I struggle here. 
my mind, I just wasn't ready to believe Romans 8. But I'm coming to, I'm coming to a place more now where I'm, I'm ready to believe it because what's really helped me is when I quit trying to figure this out on my own and I just say, Holy Spirit, teach me because I do not understand how you could be pleased with me. I do not understand that. And so you yield your mind to the Holy Spirit. And he said, what did you say? Well, he'll take the things of me and give them to you. He's the spirit of truth. He will lead you into all truth. Oh, man, what a relief. I don't have to strive to figure God out. I can just bow at the cross because the Holy Spirit comes from the person of Jesus. That's what's so beautiful. It's like, oh, my Savior not only gave, died to give me forgiveness of sin, my Savior is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's, you know, he said, if you knew the gift of God, you'd ask me and uh, I'd give you the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you know, I could go on and on. If any man is thirsty, let him come to me. Uh, I, I will you know, pour out living water upon him. He's the baptizer. He's, why is he the source of the Holy Spirit? Because his blood, he cleanses us. He fills me with the Spirit. Okay, then the Holy Spirit will teach me these things about showing me how I am pleasing to God because I'm clinging to Christ and his cross and letting him live his life through me. God says, that's all I've called you to do. Yeah, you still mess up, but you're getting better. You're growing the more you learn to abide in me. But Rick, I'm pleased with you. You know, Roger, I'm pleased with you. I can't see anybody else he's pleased with besides Roger. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Karen, Karen, I'm pleased with you. Dan, I'm pleased with you because you're, you're trusting in Jesus. The two Sams back there, I'm pleased with you. And, and you know, when you, when that dawns on you, it's going to change you. It will change you. There, 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 there's a joy that wells up in your heart. There's a song that wells up in your heart and you're like, wow, wow. I, this is what I've always longed for to know I'm pleasing to my father and he's made it possible, not because I'm a super zealous Christian or I'm super spiritual because I'm willing to bow at the cross and cling to Jesus and let him pour his life through me. And that's all God expects of me. And then guess what? Obedience flows. Love for God flows. Love for his word. Because it's the heart of Jesus through you. I mean, I'm sorry, but Jesus Christ is the only man the Father has ever been impressed with. You don't come close. I'm sorry. But when you're smart enough to get in Jesus and say, Father, this is my only only way to relate to you because I'm in the person of Jesus. <laughs> and God says, good, you're wise. I'm pleased with you that you've chosen to do that. And then, man, it, there, there's, a, there's a rest. There's a, a, a joy. There's a power. There's a peace. A, again, th- I believe Romans 8, 39, it is the highest point in the, that you can live in this earth in the Christian life where you recognize nothing's going to separate me from the love of God and nothing's going to condemn me anymore. I will not accept condemnation anymore from myself, from others. You know, you got to realize the Roman church here, Roger was kind of sharing this on Wednesday. I thought it was a good insight. Like 
you know, these people were about to be fed to the lions, right? Or maybe already were in some cases. And you, you're standing before the Roman government, and they're saying, you know, you're, cause, you're, a, you're a troublemaker. And you're, you know, what is our society more and more are, are, are saying we're, we're what, hate, hate speech. You know, and I, we're be praying for our country because I will tell you what, if, if the administration changes back to a liberal, they may come after us with a vengeance now that they have power again. So I'm just saying, if you don't think it's important to pray for your country now, you better wake up because do you, have you recognized how angry these people are? And there's something changing. But anyway, we, we got the power in prayer, so keep praying. But you're standing before the government, and they're, and they're saying, uh, I'm going to condemn you. You're causing trouble. You're guilty. You're wrong. And that Christian to be able to say, well, this condemnation isn't coming from God. I know that because, you know, Paul taught us that. There is no condemnation. Verse 31, what then shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? So when you, when you understand you have God's favor, his pleasing love, it doesn't matter if, if anybody's against you. God's for us. God's for us. He's had this eternal plan that he's working out. Verse 30. He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him freely give us all things? See, this is a person who understands they have favor with God because what Christ did. And you'll notice Paul, he's always focusing back to the person of Jesus. He's not saying, I have favor with God because, you know, just because everybody has favor with God. You ever heard preachers preach like that? You know, it's like, God just wants to bless you no matter who you are, no matter how you're living, uh, and not even mentioning the cross of Christ. That's wrong. It, it, the favor that we have is because he did not spare his own son. God showed us his love in the cross. And now, guys, you have favor with him, and he'll give you all things, freely give you all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. So again, Paul in Romans 7 was condemning himself. He's not doing that anymore. He's not listening to those charges anymore of the enemy. He's saying, I'm in Jesus Christ. I'm forgiven. And God is sanctifying me and changing me from day to day. So this is not coming from God, this charge. You know, you may have people in your life that accuse you and are kind of nitpicking you and pointing out your faults. That's not God. Yes, God, he's, got, he's dealing with our sin, but he does it in a merciful way. He empowers us to overcome sin. He forgives our sin. But who's, who's condemning? It, it, it's Christ who died. How could Christ be the one condemning you if he's the one who died and furthermore is risen and who is at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us? You know, again, Paul keeps bringing you back to the person of Jesus Christ. That's his argument for his favor with God. Always the cross, always what Jesus did. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of God? So Paul would understand um, difficulties in his life and would not misinterpret them as being 
from God. So you go, you start going through a hard time. You might think, oh, well, I'm, I'm having this difficulty because God's displeased with me. See, a person who's come to this point of Romans 8, understanding God's favor, does not interpret tribulation and difficulty and distress as God's punishment toward them. They realize, no, Jesus took my punishment. I have God's loving pleasure over me because I'm trusting in Christ. So my fellowship with the Lord isn't going to be broken. No one's going to separate me from that place of God's loving pleasure in Christ. And, and again, that's a place of maturity. A, a, a more immature Christian would say, oh, I'm, I understand why God's letting all these bad things happen to me. We're certainly not promised an easy life. Paul's saying there's tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Uh, in other words, you might even be in need and you might think, well, why isn't God providing for me? You know, Paul didn't, maybe sometimes didn't have adequate clothing. He didn't have adequate food. He was under persecution. Verse 36, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. So you got this contrast. You got this person whose who's inner life is thriving. They understand they're at this incredibly favorable place with God because they're trusting in Christ and they're experiencing God's loving pleasure, but they're also having real difficulty, real trials that they're going through. And yet they've learned that, no, this is not God's anger toward me. This is just God using tribulation to grow me. Even for your sake, we're killed all day long, you know, to, to walk in, in this kind of grace, Often God is going to allow pressures in your life. God is, you know, one of my favorite verses, see if I can find it quickly in uh, first Corinthians, uh, second Corinthians one where um, Paul says, talking about tribulation and, and difficulty, he says in first Corinthians one eight, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. Now listen to this. That we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, and in whom we trust that he will still deliver deliver us and you also helping together in your prayers for us. So Paul understood God was allowing him to go through these difficulties that were above measure or above strength. In other words, I can't, I can't handle this in my own strength. That's the whole point. God's trying to get you to quit trusting in your own strength and we will not let go of our, our strength easily. I believe without trial but Paul said, the sentence of death was upon us that we should not trust in ourselves. That's the, Paul was a mature believer. He understood why this sentence of death was upon him to, to purge him of self trust and start trusting in God. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans eight for, for your sake, we're killed all day long. That's a tough thing to let go of self. And God takes you through some pretty difficult things to empty you of self. 
but it's a glorious place to come where you're just consistently going right back in faith to his strength, to his righteousness. Verse 37, Romans 8, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So a person, uh, think of John 15, you know, abide in me, abide in my love, live in that love zone of of God's loving pleasure, and you can face anything. You'll be a more than a conqueror. But again, uh, to just think that God loves me in a general way that he loves everybody, uh, that just doesn't help me much. I don't know, maybe it helps you. I'm, I don't want to burst your bubble. But I, I need to know God's pleased with me and has a loving pleasure toward me. And that's what I believe he's talking about here. You understand that. Like, hey, God's pleased with me. God's for me. God's happy with me. He's singing over me. I don't really care what anybody else thinks about me, right? Isn't there a freedom in that? God's happy with me. He's the one I have to be accountable to. Of course, you want to keep a good witness to those around you and love people around you, but you get my point. You're you're not going to take criticisms too much to heart uh, and persecutions. You, you know where you stand. You know you're pleasing with the Lord. And that's, man, that's just the zone where you live. You're just like, oh, man, I God loves me. God's pleased with me. Uh, and I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord so no devil no angel I mean it's just a sweeping statement to cover everything right death life things present things to come because I'm abiding in God's pleasing love nothing is going to move me away from this sweet close relationship man but when you're under the law and you feel like you're displeasing to God, that you don't have that close closeness to God. You do feel like you're often separated. You feel like you're condemned. And so uh, one other verse I wanted to read out of Ephesians related to, to God's love and how we should um, pray for ourselves and pray for one another in Ephesians 3. One of two prayers that Paul gives in Ephesians, he said, uh, Ephesians 3.14, we'll close with this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's talking about walking in the spirit that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, so that that connection to the person of Jesus Christ through faith, his death, his resurrection, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Lord, we just thank you for this word. We, we thank you for that love of Christ, that pleasing love you have toward us because of the cross. Lord, that you demonstrated your love for us. 
on that cross. And Lord, that Lord, that we could begin to live in that zone, in that place to understand that through faith in Christ, we are pleasing to you. And Lord, when we feel that separation, we feel that condemnation, we'll go right back to your word and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us, to speak to us. And Lord, these things are not easily learned. We're, we're, we feel so much guilt and self-condemnation often. And Lord, may you lift us from that place as we yield our minds to be taught by the Holy Spirit that he alone can apply these truths to us. And Lord, that you, you'd have a church living in this place of your really your glory, Lord, just as the Father was pleased with the Son, so now he is pleased with us because we're in the Son and we've met his requirements. We've, we've, we've agreed to the covenant of the cross. And Lord, that may, we may just just sing before you with joy that we've never experienced because we realize you're not mad at us. You're not angry. You're pleased. And Lord, I know there would be many forces trying to come against that as we've read here. Uh, devils, principalities, powers, circumstances, because the enemy knows if we live in that place, we're going to, we're going to be changed. We're going to be effective to those around us. We're going to see a new joy in us, a new power and be drawn to it, Lord, instead of repelled by our, our legalism and our grumpiness and the burdens that we're bearing. Oh, Lord, so teach us these things. We yield our minds right now to the Holy Spirit and let us continue to just rely on him to teach us these things. And we commit this day to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.